afternoon long, won't we? Uh, and that's okay. It's a good, good song to be remem- remembering. So I'd like it, if you would, to take your Bibles to the New Testament, to the letter written to the church at Corinth, to 1 Corinthians. And I want to focus in on verse, uh, chapter 13, the first seven verses of that great chapter in the Bible. In the Chronicle Review of the Chronicle of Higher Education, Helen Fisher wrote about one of the great examples of love which remains on full display 13 centuries after it was built. In the lowlands of Guatemala stands the temples of the Mayans. The temples were once standing among the great boulevard of the community but are now swallowed by the grasses and the vines and the various indigenous trees like the breadnut the Achaia, acacia, and the mahogany. King Haso Chen Kawi of the Maya was buried there between 688 to 720. And he was given in his leadership as one of great stamina and power. He was said of the Mayans, which is unusual, to be six feet tall. He lived to be in his 80s, and he was deeply in love with his wife. She died at a young age when they were married. He loved his wife so much that he built a temple for her, and it stands to the jungle facing his to this day. Twice annually, precisely on the spring and autumn equinox, the sun rises on the backside of the king's temple, and it casts a shadow on his wife's temple. And at sunset on those same two days of the year, the sun will set and it will cast a shadow from her temple across his. And in that there has been a rhythm of love and honor that has continued 1,300 years. God has put it within the heart of mankind to love and to receive love. And if he has put it in mankind, and it's evident among the pagan Mayans that he would do that, how much more so would it be for us? Because Christians have the greatest ability and capacity to love. And I know that to be true because first, he has made, God has, Christians to understand the love that he has for them. He has shown his love towards them and poured his love in their heart by his Holy Spirit. So among all people, Christians ought to be people of love both receiving love and sharing love. One of the great passages that God has given to us by the words of Jesus was this new command of love that he gave to his followers. Not that love is a new command, but the measure and the magnitude of the love that Christ is calling his followers to have is what's new. He says, a new command I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, the height of that love is demonstrated by Jesus on the cross where he willfully lays down his life for us, taking on our sins so the judgment of God may be poured out against him rather than against us. He lays down his life in order to pick it up again that we might share in his righteousness. That's the greatest expression of love. In fact, the Lord himself said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So now Jesus is not just demonstrating love and giving love to us. He is calling us as his followers who have been filled by his spirit, his nature with love. He's calling for us to love to that same measure, that same magnitude, love in a surrendered way to one another. Now there is no greater expression of that love 
that can be found on earth, save God and man, except his wife or her husband. It's the greatest opportunity for us to share in this unconditional love. Some of you are married and some are not. If you're not, God places you in relationships with other people, be it your family or be it people that he has drawn into your life. And it's there that we can express the great depth of love to a point of surrendering ourselves for one another. This past week in our daily Bible readings as a church, we've been moving through 1 Corinthians. And as we were moving through it, the 13th chapter stood out to me. Now, it's one that's probably stood out to you for a number of times as well. It stands out because if you've attended any of the marriage ceremonies that I've done, you've heard 1 Corinthians at every one of them, 1 Corinthians 13. And maybe it was even read at your own ceremony or maybe the ceremonies of people that you love. And as we were reading through it, it, it stood out to me uniquely, so I wanted to bring it to you today. I'll read the first four, uh, three verses, which may not be quite so known, but are powerful in the way that they give a, a visual. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned, in other words, I'm so given to the gospel and the gospel message, even if I become a martyr, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And then this section that you're probably most familiar with, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Boy, is that not just an expression of my marriage every day, every moment? Not so much. He goes on to say in verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So no doubt, life is most beautiful when we know and experience and share love. And our marriages and our families are supposed to be the place where love is expressed most wonderfully and also where love is tested more fully. And there have been many, many, many moments in my life with my wife since 1986, that we have expressed great love to one another in words and service and intimacy and just love that God has given us as a great gift. But I'll be honest to say to you, there have been many, many, many times that love is not expressed very easily. And often love not expressed very well. In fact, there are times that I have been apathetic towards her. There have been times that I've been curt towards her. And to be honest, her to me. See, the marriage is meant to be a place where we grow and we exercise with love. But it is also a place where love is tested, really tested. Anybody married want to say yes to that? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So how can we grow in relationship, whether we're married or unmarried? How do we grow in relationships to the point that we can express love as Christ is calling us to express, which is most beautifully and wonderfully? 
Shoot, some of you are just graduated from, from high school and you're wondering, what, do you want to get me married already? No, don't stir up love till it's time. But you're going to be involved in relationships, friends and family and classmates and others. And you need to learn how to love. The greatest opportunities are to come for you. So let me just draw our attention to three biblical truths that I think will help us to become people who express love well. The first is this. You and I ought to see and treat our spouses and others in light of God. And what I'm meaning by that is that the person, he or she, is made in the image of God and is a son or daughter of God if they are of faith in Christ Jesus. So this is going to cause us to see them differently, not to just see them as a husband or wife, mother or father, brother, sister, friend, co-worker, whatever, but to see them differently as God views them. Our love and respect for other people should be expressed, not simply because we're expected to do so or even instructed to do so, but because we fully understand that all people are made in the image of God. So if you've gone through high school and you're about to head off to college or you're about to get engaged in the work field, you are about to come across people that are very, very different from you. And there are going to be people that you're going to say, I don't like them very much. They're going to be wildly different in background, in thought, in practice, in duty, in deed, in all those things and a whole bunch more. It's the way all of us are. We're, we're confronted with people that are just wildly different from us. But what we all have in common, no matter how we are, no matter how we think, no matter what we do, what we all have in common is that all people are made in the image of God. And because of that, all people are to be honored. And all people are to be respected because they are bearing the image of God. So they have significant value and worth regardless of their thoughts or behaviors or regardless of how they act towards us. They are made in God's image. So we ought to seek to view them in that way. For me, it ought to be that I seek to view Kay as being made in the image of God and she see me as being made in the image of God or our families or others that God has caused them to be made in His image and they become an image bearer of God. Now, they might not bear the image well, but that's between them and God. I should see them and respond to them and act to them and speak towards them as an image bearer of God Almighty. So we ought to move towards them with love and respect and honor. All people, no matter, no matter, all people. You know, society has a way of trying to dismantle that. Society has a way of putting us in classes. You have the haves and the have-nots. I'm here to tell you the haves ought to look upon the have-nots as made in the image of God, and they automatically at their birth have value. And the have-nots ought to see the haves as made in the image of God, no matter their testy attitudes at times. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And people with dark skin, people with light skin, people with medium skin, people with some other skin are all made in the image of God and they deserve and should receive respect and honor. All people. Because we view them not as individuals standing alone in their own way. We view them as individuals made in the image of God. And even when they act quirky, 
and they're most peculiar in their ways. We know that from Psalm 139, God has intrinsically woven people together just as he wanted them to be. And even in that quirkiness, even in that oddity about them, they are as God intended them to be. So we ought to respect them. That doesn't mean you have to go out for pizza with them all the time, but you ought to respect them and honor them. So we would do well to think of our spouses or our families or others in that way. But could I take it a step further? Could we go beyond just seeing people generally made in the image of God and see them, those who are of faith, as made in the image of God who are a son or daughter of God? As Kay and I were raising our boys, um, there were times that they would get sort of testy with her more than me and say things to her uh, that were disrespectful, uh, dishonorable. I know you wouldn't believe that of my sons, but okay, it's out there. That happens. And they got that from their dad because their dad had a tendency to do that as well. Now, I never did that in front of my mother. But shoot, when I'm around the corner, I said all kinds of things about her and even admitted that to her this morning in the 8 o'clock service. Which on the way home with my father, she probably said lots of things about me. (laughs) Just kidding. But I remember on one occasion, one of my sons started that sharp back talk that all kids do, including me. Sort of testing the boundaries, sort of making their own stand. And man, there was a barb to whatever was said. Don't even remember the conversation as it was. But I do remember being in earshot of it and walking into the room And I may or may not have put my hands on him, but I got eyeball to eyeball with him, and I said these words, Hey, bud, she was my wife long before she was your mother, and nobody talks to my wife like that. Anybody ever heard those words? I do well to listen to my own logic and my own words. There's times, there's an inner dialogue here. may not come out my mouth, but there's an inner dialogue. Or maybe there's times that there's a sharpness to my tone or the words are not affectionate towards my wife. Or maybe there's words that are meant to inflict some measure of pain. And I can't help but think that God must be saying, whether I speak the words or think the words because he knows my thoughts from afar. Hey, buddy, she was my daughter long before she was your wife. I can't help but think that God might be saying, and she'll be my daughter long after she is your wife. And in that, I need to ask a question, as we all do. Is my eternal father-in-law, as it were, pleased with the way that I'm treating his daughter? Is he pleased with the inner dialogue that I have with myself about her? Is he pleased with the way I speak to her and address her and show her love and respect? And what can I do to make him more pleased? I was thinking those kind of thoughts came across a passage in 1 Peter and there's a real instruction here for all of us husbands 
live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, the verse could just be powerful right there, but he goes even further. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of God. Now, that's what stood out to me. I recognize that I'm stronger than my wife. I can pick up things that she can't pick up. And at her stature, stature, I can reach things that she cannot reach. So he's saying, live with her with understanding. Show her with honor as she is. But you need to understand this, Randy. She is an heir with you of the grace of God. In other words, she's not just your wife. She is your sister. I'm not just her husband. I am her eternal brother, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We are children of God because of our faith in God, that he has sent his son to bring us by adoption into the family of God. And then he says what's probably the most pronounced section of this entire passage, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, the way we live with our spouse, understand them, pursue them, honor or dishonor them, has a direct connection with our prayers to God and His willingness to listen to our prayers and respond to those prayers. The truth is God probably at times gives great pause when I'm praying. And in that pause, He's probably saying, Randy, You and I need to talk first about what you're thinking or what you're saying to your wife, my daughter. Let's get that settled first and then we'll handle your needs or your wants that you're asking for. You're not going to be able to just talk to your wife in the way that you talk to her and think that God is not listening and that God is not saying, man, does that ever hinder your prayers to me? It does. We would do well as we're making an appeal before God to have readied our hearts by treating our spouses well, by loving them and honoring them and being gracious towards them. That brings me to the second point. Live expressing honor to your spouse and to others. Now, I've already mentioned the world seems to be bent on dishonoring people. The rally cry for today seems to be dishonor people who are not like you. If you're a Republican, you're supposed to dishonor the Democrats. And if you're a Democrat, you're supposed to dishonor and disrespect the Republicans. Whatever the divisions are, the world, the culture wants us to bring dishonor to those that are different from us, those who think differently than us, look differently than us, or who live differently than us. But the Bible instructs us absolutely differently. The Bible says, honor everyone. And in case we're wondering who everyone is, he gives us a just a list of people to honor. He says, honor your father and your mother, honor the elderly, honor the Lord, and honor him him with your wealth, honor the poor, honor widows. This is the only one that I found that was a qualifier. Honor church leaders who are worthy of honor. If I'm not worthy of honor, then you're off the hook. Husbands honor wives. Wives honor husbands. So God commands that we honor Him and we honor other people, but the world has much to say about that. 
The world is not so much looking for how you're honoring people. The world makes demands that you demand honor for yourself. It's radically different from the way God is saying it. The world says you ought to demand honor. And God says, I demand of you humility. Now, the reason why the world wants us to demand honor is because the world knows that you're probably not going to get all the honor that you want. And when somebody, your spouse, your family member, your coworker, whoever it is, when somebody dishonors you, then you and I have a tendency to talk down to them, to bring them down. We lessen them so that the barb of their dishonoring is not so sharp. So we make little of them. So when they dishonor us, it's not that big of a deal to us. Now you can see how that's a pretty vicious cycle. And why the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness, wants us to have a, a longing for honor and want people to speak honor into us. And when they don't, we bring them down. And the more we bring them down, the more dishonor they show to us. And the more dishonor they show to us, the more we cast them down. And the enemy who is a destroyer, or one who likes destruction, is cheering that cycle on all the while. The antidote is given to us by God. And the antidote is... Humble yourself. Stop chasing after honor. Stop chasing after respect. Humble yourself. And in due time, God says, I will raise you up. I will bring honor into your life when I believe it's appropriate. And the honor that God will give us will be not just for these temporary days. The honor that God gives us will last for all eternity. So, stop worrying about somebody honoring and respecting you and God says humble yourself and honor and respect others now, for those of you who are married it begins right there in your marriage that God wants you to honor your spouse he wants you to respect your spouse regardless of how they're acting towards you to honor them you say well I don't know that I can do that oh I know it's going to take a lot of humility on our part isn't it but isn't that what God said? Humble yourself, and he would exalt you in due time. Now, this is not a natural flow from us. In fact, I think it's the opposite. Humility requires, and this flow of honor is requiring the filling of our lives by the Spirit of God. I believe it's an outflow of the Spirit. So the more he fills us and we humble ourselves in that filling, the more we have propensity to honor and love and respect other people. Now watch this. I want to show you this in a passage. Uh, this particular passage is out of Philippians, and I think it will reveal it well. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let me pause here to just reflect for a moment. What he's ultimately going to come to is this point where he's saying, look to the interest of other people. It's going to, it's going to move towards the doing part of our life. But there's a rhythm that is often built in Scripture that if we're not careful, we'll just kind of look right past it, right through it, and we'll jump straight to the do. We want to always get to the application. Just tell me, Gunner, what I've got to do. <laughs> well, the fact is you're not going to be able to do this. 
you and I are miserable failures at putting the interest of others before our own interests. So we are not going to be able to do this. So what God begins to do is he recreates us in Christ. And he begins to make us something radically different than as we were born. And he says, Randy, I'm going to give you encouragement and it will be in Christ. And in Christ you will find comfort from that love. And you will have relationship, participation with the Spirit and in that, you will have affection and sympathy. And isn't all of that what we're longing for in relationships? Isn't that, along with joy, what we're longing to have? I remember reading a book probably 15 years ago, and one of the, the main theses of the book was this. Stop striving for what God has already given to you in Jesus Christ. And that truth has resonated with me for the years since and when I catch myself trying to do and accomplish and strive to get and have with God spiritually that reminder comes back why are you wrestling to do something that God has freely given to you why don't you just be as you are in Christ being these things will change how we think which is what this middle section is here it's all about our our attitudes he says, have the same mind, the same love, being full of one accord, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So this is the doing. Oops, I forgot the eye, sorry. This is the being part of the beginning here. And the middle part is what we need to really grab hold of. From our being in Christ, we take on a new attitude and new beliefs, and out of that new attitude, we express it to other people by putting their interest above our own. There is no greater opportunity to do that than with your spouse. No greater opportunity than in your family. No greater opportunity than those who you, you know best. Which brings me to the third point. Live graciously with your spouse and others. So the deeper our relationship goes with somebody, the deeper the pool of grace needs to be that we draw from. In fact, it's pretty easy for me to get along with most of you. And I say that because really all we're exchanging are simple greetings, talking about what's going on in your life and my life superficially, talking about the beauty of the weather, it's pretty easy in, in here because you're not sinning against each other and I'm not sinning against you. And this is about as easy as it gets in here. But you get me in a relationship. Get me into friendships and I will reveal to you my sinfulness and my flesh. You get me into deeper relationships like my family and you'll see things in me that nobody else sees. And you get me into the most intimate relationship with my wife and you will begin to discover things about me that I've kept hidden and hope nobody else discovers. So it's in this relationship and other relationships where the fullness of love can be given but the depth of grace is so much needed. The more close we are in relationship, the more grace is needed. 
Kay sees things about me that nobody else sees. She hears an attitude that nobody else hears. And it's the same for her, for me. I see things that nobody else sees about her. And I hear quick-worded statements come out of her mouth that are meant to have a barb, that are meant to inflict some suffering. We see that in each other. Now, in those moments of faults and failures, we have a choice. And the choice can be, when that sin occurs, I can stare at the sin And I can hold on to it miserably and I can take it with me and bring it back up in the future sometime. Or I can choose to look for grace in that moment. It doesn't neglect the fact that she has sinned against me. It doesn't neglect the fact that I've hurt her in the sin. But looking for grace changes the perspective. It changes it because I'm saying, she just sinned against me and man did that ever hurt. Or Randy just said that against me, and man, does it ever hurt. But God is gracious, and he will forgive that sin just like he's forgiven every sin that I've ever committed. And seeing the grace means that I'm seeing the the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that God is going to bring her to conviction, and God is going to call her to confess, and God is going to ask her to repent, and she will do so by the grace of God that is given to her by the Spirit through Jesus Christ and she's going to be different in the end of that process so we've got an opportunity we can see and hold on to the sin that's coming against us or we can look for and press towards the grace that is in the situation as well the immature person in Christ looks to and points to and holds on to the sin. The mature one is looking and pressing towards God's grace. Hey, which one are you right now? In your relationships, which one are you? Easily wounded, easily affected, easily hurt, or easy to give grace? and I've come to an understanding that she can't change me and I can't change her but God can grace is part of God's movement in each of our lives if a Mayan king can build a lasting tribute to his wife such that we're talking about it 1300 years later how much more can we And the power of God with transformed hearts, with the filling of the Holy Spirit full of love, how much more can we have a testament of love? You say, well, Randy, I don't see us ever building a monument to one another and casting uh, shadows during the equinoxes. No. But you can live your life in a way that the love of Jesus for the church is widely known and that becomes not a temporary monument but an eternal testimony of Jesus Christ and his love for his church let's live our life in that way seeing each other made in the image of God as a son and daughter of God giving honor and giving grace that 
builds a lasting testimony for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we ask in this moment that you help us in our weaknesses where the flesh is strong. May we crucify the flesh. And where pride and arrogance have a way of lifting ourselves up and demanding honor and respect, may humility be ours. May you fill us with your spirit full of love and mercy and grace. And may the first people who discover the change be those who are closest to us and know us fully. From spouse to family to close friends and others. May it bring glory to Jesus as he is shaping us to be like him. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. This is a